one day years ago when I was in Ohio pastoring, my secretary said, I finally figured out what you mean and why you kind of get really closed in at the end of the week and what, what it means for you on Sunday. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, I finally realized that on Sunday you give birth to a, to a baby and then on Monday you find out you're pregnant again. <laughs> and I said, that's exactly right. Um, well, the gestation period this week has been rather struggles, a struggle for me. And so I wrestled with this passage with great difficulty, but, but I want to just begin tonight by reading it for us and then uh, doing my best to unfold what the Lord would have for us. <clears throat> I begin in, really in uh, the second part of verse 36. We ended with verse 36 last time, but, but it kind of changes direction there in the middle. It says, These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them, But though he had performed many signs before them, they were not believing in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted and I healed them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now we remember in our study that we have just come off the heels of Jesus' last public sermon. And it was a sermon that once again, Jesus was calling the people to respond in a positive way to what he was teaching. And in fact was warning those who would not respond in a positive way that if they did not, they would face eternal condemnation. If I was to summarize it in my own words, Jesus Christ ends his public ministry with one last pronouncement of the gospel. I was thinking about Randy's question tonight to us in the gospel and and the issue of belief and the idea of not many people believing. And part of the reason that some of us, when we heard the gospel, didn't want to believe the gospel or didn't believe the gospel, part, part of that reason was because we didn't really believe the bad news. Uh, If we believed the bad news in its reality, we would have ran quickly to the good news. And here, many have heard the gospel over and over again. Jesus, in his final sermon, gives them the gospel one last time, pronouncing to them that they ought to believe. In fact, he commands in verse 35 that you ought to walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in darkness doesn't know where he goes. So while you have the light, believe in the light. The light, of course, is a metaphorical way of speaking of the truth. Walk while you have the truth, which is the very essence of Christ himself. He is, as he will say in John 14, I am the truth. And of course, darkness is the opposite of that, the metaphorical way of thinking of sin or the The reality of the nature of mankind and error. 
anything opposed to God, and that is the very essence of man. So in verse 36, Jesus says, Believe in the light in order that you might become sons of light. And then John says in verse 36, the rest of verse 36 and 37, that these very sad words to us. These are the things that Jesus spoke and he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had performed many signs before them, they were not believing in him. Seems rather amazing, doesn't it? Seems rather unconscionable, in fact, after all that Christ had done, after all that Christ had taught to the people who were curious about him, after all that he had claimed, that they would still have such widespread unbelief. In fact, Jewish unbelief seems to be the recurring theme all through the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ from the very first miracle he does at the wedding in Cana in chapter 2, all the way through to this point in our study, it seems as if not many, if any, were really believing in Jesus. John chapter 6 is kind of the high point of that, when the people are fed by Jesus Christ, the miracle right before their eyes. They're the recipients of the miracle that he did, and yet most leave him the very next morning. Even though... We have seen it before. It's still shocking to us that people will not believe. It's shocking. In fact, you can go back 2,000 plus years and look at all the history of gospel presentation by God himself and we could say, how can anyone who saw Jesus Christ how could anyone who witnessed the miracles of Christ with their very eyes How can anyone who heard Jesus teach, who never said a word out of order, who always preached the very perfect message, who never had a point that wasn't the the main point of the text. They heard Him teach, who, who had a heritage of walking with God as God's people when you think about the Jews. How could they have missed it? I mean, we oftentimes will think sometimes in our own arrogance, if I was there, I surely would not have missed it. How could it be that people, especially the Jews, how could it be that they just don't get it? And John answers that question for us tonight. And he gives us reasons, the reason for unbelief, as well as proof That mere words do not save. Mere words do not save and mere words are not proof of salvation. So let's begin tonight then with this reason for unbelief. The reason for unbelief. John says that they were not believing... And the question at least comes to my mind when I think about this. Why? After all they've heard, after all they've seen... Why? It seems logical to me. Why didn't they believe? Why wouldn't they get it? And the first answer is this. God had already said they would not get it. Read verse 38 with me. They did not believe, verse 37 says, 
that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is the reason they did not believe. It is important for us to understand what John is referring to. Because this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, I want us to go back there for a moment so that we can see exactly what Isaiah has said in his prophecy. Isaiah chapter 53, of course, Isaiah being 66 chapters, at least in our Bible. It wasn't that when the people of Israel had his prophecy, but that's just telling you we're at the end, towards the end of the prophecy. So much has come before this point. In Isaiah 53 and verse 1, you get that very question. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The the implied answer to that question that Isaiah is posing by way of the Spirit of God is nobody. The implication is that Isaiah is saying is I've preached to you and I've preached to you and I've prophesied to you all that God has told me to say and I have done it until I am blue in the face and I have done it over and over and over again and no one has received anything that has been said. Isaiah was commissioned to preach the coming of the Messiah, to tell Israel about the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, this passage is all about him, the suffering servant. Is it any wonder, like I said this morning, the Jewish rabbis will not read this passage in the synagogue? But no one would listen to him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, was sent and came. And he preached about himself. He preached that there was salvation in no one else. And no one listened. Why? Why? Because who would? Who would listen? Who would believe that through the God-man, Jesus Christ, would come salvation? Who would actually believe that? No one would. Not even us. Without divine intervention by God. When you go back to John's Gospel, verse 35 says, For a while, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Walk while you have the light, the darkness, so that the darkness will not overtake you, will not seize you. It's interesting when you think about the word light, the word light is the word phos in the original language. It's where we get our word phosphorus. We know, some of us probably know what chemical phosphorus is. It comes from the root word pha. Now, for those of you who don't care about etymology of words, it means nothing to you, but you need to know that it carries the meaning of the expression of light that is seen by the eye. 
That's what the root word fa kind of stands for, and fa, fos, light. The expression of light so that it is seen by the eye. So metaphorically, when we think about that, it means something that reaches our intellect, our mind, our understanding. Can you think about that? So think about it with me. Light is primarily a luminous emanation. In other words, it's something that gives out something. It comes from a certain source, in other words. It's that which enables us in our eye, our physical eye, when we think about it on a physical level, it enables our physical eye to discern both form and color. That's what light does. But if light is to be seen, it needs a receptor. It needs something that will receive the light. In other words, it needs an organ that is adapted for the reception of light. So, for example, our physical eyes are organs that are adapted by God created to receive light. Light that is emanated from a source so that when our eye receives that light, we can discern the difference between form and color. But where there is no eye or where the eye is defective, or where the eye is impaired for some reason or another, it doesn't matter how much light you pour onto that eye, it will not receive it. The light on that eye is useless to help it. It isn't until the eye is fixed that it's able to receive the light. And what is true of the physical eye is also true of the spiritual eye. Natural man in his spiritual nature before Christ is unable. He is incapable of receiving spiritual light. He's defective. His instrument does not receive. It's unable because he lacks the capacity for receiving spiritual things. In other words, it doesn't matter how much truth is poured onto the spiritual eye of man unless something is done to fix his spiritual eyes, he never sees the light. Listen, the reason you and I don't believe when the gospel is poured upon us in buckets is because our spiritual eyes will not receive it. We need new spiritual eyes to receive it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it this way, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So why would a man not receive or take in that which is good for him? Why in the world would someone actually refuse what is best for him, what is good for him? That's the word accept in that verse. Why would he not accept it? For the natural man does not accept, doesn't receive in order to understand. He doesn't accept it. Why? Why would anyone not receive what is good? Because, that verse tells us, it's foolishness to him. The word foolish is that word that we all love, moronic. It's moronic. The light that is poured onto him comes to him and 
for him is totally moronic because he has no capacity to receive it. It makes no sense. Who would receive it? They're blind. And so Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians that they will not accept it. Why? Because they cannot accept it. They cannot accept it. He says, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, they cannot see the truth because they are blind and they cannot perceive the light. This is exactly what John is saying in John chapter 12, verse 39 to 40. Notice what he says. For this cause... They could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes. He hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I healed them. As true as it is by the word of prophecy that man would not listen and understand, so too it is true that he would not because he could not. John again is quoting from Isaiah, this time from Isaiah chapter 6. Before Isaiah chapter 53 comes Isaiah chapter 6. And just like Isaiah chapter 6 is the cause of Isaiah chapter 53, in other words, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? No one. That's Isaiah 53. No one. Why? Here's chapter 6. He's blinded their eyes. He's hardened their hearts. They cannot because they could not. And they would not. And just as chapter 6 is the cause of chapter 53, so too in John here, verse 40, is the cause of verse 38. John is just quoting just like he would and other times. He's just quoting the Old Testament. Now, we don't have time to go into all the nuances of the imperative form of the Hebrew in Isaiah chapter 6. But I just want to suffice it to say that what Isaiah is saying could be paraphrased like this. You continually hear and you never understand. You continually see and you never perceive. That's the idea. You are continually hearing it. The light is continually being poured, and yet you are continually not understanding it, continually not perceiving it. So why was that so? Well, if we were to spend time studying the book of Isaiah, we would quickly realize that the following chapters would tell us that they did not because the people were bent towards rebellion against God. No one heard because no one wanted to hear. They had a bent against God and having that bent in their heart because all have sinned and there is no one righteous. We hear in some sense the the answer of God in in somewhat of a sarcastic tone, if you will. And, And if I was to paraphrase it, it would be paraphrased this way. Otherwise, right, uh, they've blinded their eyes, they've hardened their hearts. Otherwise, 
They might see with their eyes, they might hear with their ears, they might understand with their mind and repent and be restored, and they certainly wouldn't want that, would they? That's kind of the idea. In other words, Isaiah, your preaching will not be used for salvation. Your preaching will be used for condemnation. Just as on the one hand the wax that melts or the wax that is melted by the sun is also the same sun that hardens the clay, so too it is with the gospel. Sometimes the message of God makes hard those who reject it. And yet we can never say that it's God's fault. We can never blame God. Because anyone who is away from God is away from God because of his own willful decision to reject God. Each and every person departed from God in Adam, the Bible tells us. We were there with Adam when Adam rejected God. The Bible says that we are in Adam. We remain cut off from God because we prefer our own will. We do not prefer what God would say, and we will not have Christ as Savior. This is the condition of the heart of the people here in John chapter 12. Just as the Jews would not believe because they could not believe, so too each and every person who has ever been born would not because by our own sin we could not. John says in verse 41, these things Isaiah said, he saw his glory that is the glory of God and he spoke of him in other words the Christ of the New Testament is the Christ of the Old Testament Isaiah is speaking of Christ the one whom you have seen the one whom you've heard Jesus is saying to these people is God Isaiah was speaking of me, Jesus is saying. You have seen me, you have heard me. The reason you do not believe in me is because you cannot in and of yourself believe in me. You must be drawn by the Father. Why doesn't anyone get it? Who would? In fact, who could? Depravity's effect prevents it. And yet amazingly, yet amazingly, John says in verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. This is a strange, strange narrative. Verse 37, they were not believing in him. Why? fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, to show that no one could believe in Jesus without the reality of God's hand upon them. Isaiah is speaking of him. Nevertheless, seems like a quick turn. Many even of the rulers believed in him. Just about the time you get settled in your minds, the issue of the inability of man to actually believe upon Jesus Christ on his own, John says that some believed and remained quiet about it. 
what he says, right? Many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So they were saying they believed in Jesus, but being quiet about it. Can that happen? Is it possible for someone to believe and yet keep it hidden from others? It would appear at least from verse 42 and 43 that that is the case. Is it possible to believe in Jesus and not confess him publicly and still be a believer? Well, the moment we ask that question, I see some of you shaking your heads. Contrary things begin to come in our minds that Scripture teaches, isn't it? Right? Verses like Luke chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, which says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. So which is it? Can we be quiet about Christ and yet be a true believer? And if not, what is John saying? Well, I believe these last two verses are not hard for us to understand. When we understand, they hinge upon three words contained here in the text. The words are this, belief, confess, and love. Believe, confess, and love. They believed in him. They were not confessing him, for they loved the approval of men. The first two tell us what these men were doing or not doing, and the third tells us why they were doing it or not doing it. John says that even though man would not believe, and in fact cannot believe in and of himself, he says that some of the leaders believed. Now I understand this for us to understand we have to remember what biblical belief is right this is a book about belief john's gospel is a a concentrated reality about belief right i wrote this that you might believe that jesus is the christ so this is a book about belief john uses that word 99 times in his writings in the gospel and in his epistles He uses it 99 times, and normally it means to place your confidence in or to place your reliance upon. The implication is that it is more than just a superficial credence to something. Belief is actually something that moves you in the direction of the very thing in which you are believing It's interesting to read what commentators will say about this very verse because you get a whole lot of weird things. Some will say that these were true believers, that these leaders were actually true believers, but because of the persecution that was suggested and that is was pronounced or would be pronounced by those other leaders who weren't believing, these were just silent believers what they called them. I find that very difficult to swallow in light of the words of Jesus Christ in other places and the words in the following verses of this text. 
because Jesus says in the following verses, he who believes in me and does he who believes in me does not believe in me but him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I've come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Do you see the categorical shift of someone who believes in Jesus? There is a total change. You're gone from darkness to light. We truly know, all we truly know at least in verses 42 and 43 is that it says they believed in him. But we have to remember that the meaning of words are not found only in the words. The meaning is found in the syntax and the context of where these words and how these words are used. And the context, I believe here, shows us clearly that their belief is not saving belief. In fact, they are much like those back in John chapter 2 and verse 23. You don't have to turn there. I'll just remind you of that. When Jesus was at the Passover and they saw many miracles that Jesus had done. In John chapter 2 and verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. And you read that passage, you go, oh, that's wonderful. There's a lot of people getting saved in Jerusalem on that Passover until you read the following sentence. Because they're beholding his signs which he's doing. But Jesus on his part was not, the same word, believing himself to them. They were saying they were entrusting him. They were saying they were believing in him. But he wasn't believing in them. Why? Because he knows all men. He knows what's in their heart. He doesn't need anybody to bear witness about the heart of man. He knows what's the heart. This is the same thing. Why do I come to that conclusion about these people in John chapter 12? Because our text says that they were believing, but they were not confessing. The second word. They were believing, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing. In the original language, John uses a very strong adversative here in describing their actions. A very strong switch, if you will. In other words, on the one hand, they assented to uh, place their confidence in Christ on the one hand, and yet, but, he says very, very strongly in the other direction, on the other hand, their actions didn't match their assent. They said something very loudly. They said something with a lot of religious words. They said, we believe in Jesus, but their actions didn't show that. The word confession is an interesting term. It's made up of two words on the, in the original language. One word is the word for the same. It's the word homo. The, the Greek word for the same, simply meaning something that is the same or uh, the same as something else. The other word is logos. That's the word for word, logos, or to speak. So confession then means to speak the same thing. And the implication is it isn't just saying the same words, but it's an agreement with. 
So when we confess before God, when we are confessing about sin, it isn't confession to just say, I'm sorry about my sin. No, confession with God is agreeing with God in his assessment of the sin. So what God thinks about the sin, confessing means I'm agreeing with God about that. We're saying the same thing. And the implication here in this text is that even though they were assenting to Christ, even though they were assenting with words of belief about Christ, they were not saying the same thing in public. They were not confessing. Their life was not publicly speaking out concerning Christ and their belief in him. And this, I believe, is one of the determining factors, one of the the clear testimonies as to whether someone is truly a believer or not. Confession. Public confession. I don't mean standing up in the middle of the marketplace and saying, hey, listen, everybody, I'm a Christian. I don't mean that. But your life certainly would say that. And when you're talked with somebody else, your words would say that. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus says, isn't it? I read it earlier from Luke chapter 12, but I want to show you it from another place. Go to Matthew chapter 10. These are very strong words from Jesus Christ about what it means to be His, to actually believe upon Him. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet one of them will fall to the ground? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear, you're more valuable than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess before him, before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. It's interesting, the word deny there means to turn one's back on. In other words, those who turn their back on Jesus Christ, Christ will turn his back upon them before the Father. They will say, Jesus, we believe you, just like in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus says, I never knew you. Now some say they are with Christ, and he says, I'm not with you. It's a sad reality. Some say, oh, we're, we're believers in Jesus, but their life doesn't show it. Their life doesn't confess Christ in any kind of way. So to say we believe, and for that to be genuine in our words, then our life must reflect Christ. Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. 
And a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Oh, really? The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Implying, are you ready for that kind of life? Are you ready for that kind of cost? Are you ready to have nothing, not even a home, to lay your head down for following me? Another disciple comes to him and says, Lord, permit me first before I follow you. That's the implication. Permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said, follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, there's nothing more important than following Christ. You don't have tomorrow. You don't have after the funeral. Today is the day. It says the same thing in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 60, the same reality of Matthew chapter 8. So the point is this. There is a cost to discipleship. And it costs you everything. It costs everything. There can be no higher allegiance in your life than Christ. Silent professors, that's what they are. So if, you're, if, if the allegiance to Christ isn't there in your life, then you have to examine yourself and say, man, am I in the faith? Because silent professors, especially those here who said they believe but weren't confessing, they show where their love really is. That's the third word, right? They believe, they say they believe, using the same word. They say that they're believers in Jesus, but they're not agreeing with, well, on the outside what they're saying with their words. Why? Because they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Why did they remain silent? It wasn't because they were just weak Christians. It wasn't because they just thought, oh gosh, I, I, I can't say anything. Am I? No, it was because they had a higher allegiance to self rather than to Christ. That's what John says lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So the reality of what John is saying is how can these people actually be believers? The word approval there, some of your Bibles might say praise, might use that word. It's the word for glory. They love the glory of men rather than the glory of God. That's the idea. So John says the reason they're not confessing Christ, even though they say they believe in Him, even though uh, they, they have assented to some kind of fact, is because they desire the glory. They desire the glory. Their highest affection isn't the glory of God, their highest affection, their greatest love, the agape love, the word that's used here, their greatest love, which is the only love known by action, their greatest and highest love was for themselves, not for God. And we know that can't be Christian love. Because Christian love has its highest affection in God. Christian love expresses itself in implicit obedience to what God says. Now, notice I didn't say perfect. 
I said implicit obedience, a desire to obey, and a striving after it. In fact, Jesus will say to his disciples in just a little while, verse chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Chapter 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. John says the same kinds of things in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. 2 John verse 6. They all say the same thing. If you love me, it will show in your life. If you say you believe me, it will show in your life in a, in a way in which you desire the approval of God. You desire the glory of God. You will obey me, Jesus is saying. And you will indeed confess me with your life and thereby with your words even. And you, your, your life will show that you actually believe. Salvation is not just words. It's not expressed in words only. Salvation is expressed in a life that is changed. Jesus did all these things. And yet they were not believing in Him. And even those who nevertheless of the rulers believed, they weren't confessing. They didn't love God. They loved themselves. Why don't people believe? The question really is, why would they? When, in fact, left to themselves, they could not believe. And any of us who do, it shows in our life that God has done a divine work because we follow after Him and we confess Him before others. Well, that's all we got time for. But we're going to see more of this next time because Jesus delineates this very point in his final words before the night of his arrest. And we'll see that next time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time tonight. Thank you for this penetrating time of trying to understand what belief really looks like and why anyone could ever believe, knowing that it's the work of You and not us. Challenge our hearts with these things. May we, our lives be a genuine reflection of what it means to know You. Not just words, not just saying we believe, but our life would be a reflection of the genuineness of that reality, knowing that it's a work of You and not us. Thank You for showing us these things. Thank You for the words of Jesus Christ and the definitive reality of that when it comes to salvation. Help us spread the word to others, sharing these truths so that others might come to know Christ. Lord, open their eyes. We know you must do that. We want to be conduits of the light, knowing that only you can 
give them receptors that might receive it. So would you do that, please, Lord, through our words, through our lives, as we reflect your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.